0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Dan Beckett.
1: Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Rev. Dan Beckett, here with our co-host, Rev. Michelle Jelinch. Today, we share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together together to support your spiritual growth in your addiction recovery journey.
2: Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. Be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. So please let us know what's on your mind. We would love to hear from you.
1: Today's show is titled Taking Action. If you want what we have, you have to do what we did. 12-Step Addiction Recovery is a program of action based on spiritual principles. The ideas are nice, and anyone can read the steps and see that perhaps they, quote, make sense. But nothing happens if we don't take action. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on putting spiritual principles to work through a program of action, moving out of inertia, and into the amazing changes and amazing life that happens when we do so.
2: So we'll begin today by sharing our experience of that inertia, what that was like. And then we'll move into the solution, which is a program of action. After the break, we'll share exactly how that program of action helped us to move from that inertia to an amazing life, a life that we want to live. So Dan, tell us what that inertia was like for you?
1: I'm the the first thing that comes to mind is that I'm remembering that uh, animated movie Frozen, right? Yeah. It had that theme song "Let It Go" that was yeah. driving parents crazy across yeah. the nation because still still little does. <laughs> kids, little kids love it, so I was thinking about "Let It Go," except not in a good way. It almost more like "Let me see if it goes away." You know, if yeah. we could rewrite the lyrics to let it go into, oh, why don't I do nothing and see if it goes away? That that was sort of a, uh, I don't want to say it was a mantra, but, you know, it was definitely a, a, a not a small piece of the way that I uh, interacted with the world back then. It's like, well, you know, if it's not pressing, if it really doesn't need to be done now, if I could kind of get away with, without doing it, in general, if it if it could be put off, then I will put it off. You know, I've heard people say the opposite. Well, if I could do it right now, I'm just going to take care of it now. I was the opposite. I don't of
2: understand that. those people. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> I aspire to be that that kind of insanity. No, actually, sometimes I can do that now, and it's a different. It's a different, uh, ironically it's a different way to avoid because what I want to avoid is a whole bunch of crap on my to-do list. So I'm like, man, if I could literally just like, I could send that email now it'll take me three minutes. I could do this. I could do that. I get that stuff off of there. Uh, again, completely self-serving purpose so that I don't have to have all these things hanging over my head. But, uh, back in the day, you know, before I got sober when I was actively drinking, my motivation was to, you know, get things out of my, face kind of you know get them off of my list by Mm -hmm. sort of dropping them behind the couch you know (laughs) not not the uh way of let me take care of this so i'll be done with it but let me just uh act like this doesn't need to be done and then i'll be done with it at least for now because tomorrow is another day yeah right that's like the procrastinator's um um anthem almost right Positive statement. Tomorrow is another day. That's right. So I don't have to do crap today.
2: Yeah, I'll take a nap.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, this is one of those topics where we joke, you know, that we're talking about this stuff as if it were all in the past. And um, this is actually something that I still can typically struggle with. Uh, you know, uh, people will say, "Well, somebody said to me once. It might have been a counselor. You know, what if?" I think it was a counselor. What if when that, because I was talking about, you know, getting late fees on um, bills, not because I didn't have the money, but because I just hadn't taken the time to sit down and pay it. And I think he said to me, what if you, when that bill came in the mail, you just paid it right away? And I was like, what kind of strange <laughs> thing are you talking <laughs> about?
1: You were speaking English up till just <laughs> now, and I have no know. idea what you're saying. It's like,
2: what? It makes no sense. And so, actually, in some ways, ironically, this is uh, the opposite for me. When I was uh, still actively drinking, I had lots of action, lots and lots of action, um, a frenetic action, really. You know, I was a bit of a workaholic. I was just kind of like a Tasmanian devil, just spinning around, doing, doing, doing. You know, I could handle so much stuff. Um, I could, you know, clean my house all day, go to the gym and work out, come back, do my homework. I mean, I could just do so much stuff. And one day, of course I was, you know, 20, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> now I don't, I don't have quite that amount of energy, but the way that this does relate is that, um, the action that I was taking was not a real conscious or self-aware action. It wasn't divinely guided action on my own you know, spiritual wellness behalf. It was just sort of a frenetic spinning around doing lots of things so that I could feel productive. And frankly, so that I didn't have to sit still and be in my own skin as we like to describe it in 12 step. So that this is, that's a different type of action. It wasn't taking, you know, healthy action on my behalf. It was just sort of being active all the time so that I didn't have to think or feel pretty much.
1: You know, I can really see that how, in a sense, spinning our wheels can be a, a kind of inertia, yeah. right? I mean, that maybe there's a lots of um, a, a lots of activity around it, but nothing's really happening. Yeah. You know, it's it reminds me of, um, you know, when when we used to be in grade school or whatever, giving us busy work, yeah. like you know, fill in these three sheets of multiplication numbers so you know it looks like you're doing something but really yeah. nothing perhaps so uh one example of uh, let it go but in a bad way see if it goes away <laughs> was i i was not good about taking care of my health yeah. now i'm okay about it now i'm not great about it now even, but i was even less attentive mm. in the past most of my life as i've shared before i uh, have had some kind of nicotine addiction going since you know college, really. And uh, even though I had quit for a while, uh, ironically, I quit while I was still drinking. And then when I quit drinking, I started smoking again. Yeah, which just seemed like the stupidest thing in the world to me. Like I had eight years of to being tobacco free. And I started smoking again. I'm like, yeah. what is wrong with me? And my my dear friend, who's also a program member, saw me smoking. And she just walked up to me and said, whack-a-mole? <laughs> like, you know that game where you whack yeah, one yeah, mole yeah. and a mole pop? That, I'm like, that is exactly it. Yeah. Except the moles were addictions. You know, and knock one right. down, up pops another one to take its right. place. But she's the the person who also gave me this... One of my favorite statements of wisdom. Mm -hmm. I deal with my addictions in the order in which they'll kill me fastest. Yes. It's like, I like that. I just crossed off alcohol definitely at the top of the list to kill me fastest. Okay. So now I'm back on tobacco. Now I'm I'm happy to say I'm off of that. Usually happy about it. You know, there's part of my brain because I still have this um, alcoholic brain. It's part of my mind that tells me it'd be a really good idea to start smoking again. And then there's another part of my mind that agrees with that. But fortunately I'm far enough down this road. I just can smile at that and say, yeah, this is a stressful situation or yeah, I'm not sure what to do and I'm feel uncomfortable. And in the past smoking a cigarette would definitely be a solution forward. But anyway, Where I'm going with all this is not taking care of my health was one of the things that was one of the cans that I was happy to kick down the road uh, when I was not taking action, when I was kind of living in a sense of inertia.
2: Oh, gosh, you made me think about it. I had a similar uh, tidbit of wisdom, but mine was a little more mo- morbid. It was uh, smoke before you drink and drink before you kill yourself. And I know that sounds horrible, but the point is that um, just like you said, you know, the dealing with our addictions in the order in which they are trying to kill us or in the order in which they most interfere with our lives. Yeah. You know, um, I'm a full believe I mean it's wonderful if we can all be off of all the stuff that's great if we can not drink not use not smoke don't mess with my coffee because no do not even come for me with that because I had a therapist early on in sobriety that wanted me off of everything she's like you're still using caffeine to not feel your feelings and it's like I wanted to say words that I can't say on this program (laughs) you know (laughs) and and I know now that um she was some sort of purist that apparently didn't know a lot about addiction because I don't think it's wise to tell someone in early recovery to give up all of their addictions
1: I think um, it's foolish
2: I think it's very foolish and um, it's not to say that we always need to have an addiction but you know we're dealing with the ones that are most interfering with our functioning and with our spiritual well-being and frankly I am a big old caffeine addict and i have no intention of stopping and i don't think it's interfering with my spirituality or my life you know (laughs) i'm feeling my feelings just fine thank you very much (laughs) and i will take my feelings with a grande americano with an extra shot (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) you know
1: i'm feeling that grande
2: yeah yeah seriously um people can get a little carried away with uh you know the um what am I trying to say pure purity of, you know, let's not use anything, you know, let's not use any kind of, I don't really consider caffeine a mind altering substance, but anyway, that's another conversation, (laughs) but yeah. So, um, like I said, I was taking lots of action, but what I was not taking was conscious action. So I didn't know how to be consciously acting on my own behalf, um, doing things with a level of awareness, a spiritual awareness, um, a self-awareness. I was sort of just doing, 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 like I said, to, uh, to not have to sit still, frankly, um, I was uncomfortable just being still and just being with myself and feeling my feelings. So that is like you said, that is a type of inertia. Um, And so that's really how that manifested more for me, because now my life is all about being conscious of, of, everything, as conscious and awake as I can possibly be in my life. And back then I was living very unconsciously, very unaware, doing, doing lots of things, but not in a spiritually conscious or aware type of way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can affirm the same thing. It's not like I was doing nothing. I was going to work. I had a very successful career in a big house and all that stuff. And from the outside, everything looked great. And in many ways it was, but... I would I, I was drinking as much as I was drinking, and that was really you know wearing uh, me down and becoming uh, week by week, year by year, over a long period of time, a bigger and bigger problem. Yeah. And so the, the 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 inertia was around healthy choices. And around taking care of that, which needs to be taken care of, like fixing things in the house was easy to postpone because I I don't feel like it. I'm just going to sit on the couch and have a drink and, you know, play a video game or watch TV or whatever. But let us uh, transition now to the solution. Now that we know about this challenge of inertia and we trust that you, our listeners, know exactly what we're talking about. Um. What is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles.
2: Yes, and of course, Unity's five basic principles are guides for our spiritual growth, and they include both the inner work that we do as well as taking action. And these principles cover our true nature as expressions of God, our prayer and co-creation practices, as well as taking spiritual action out in the world.
1: In fact, our fifth principle states It's not enough to know these truths, meaning the first four. It's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. And that means taking action in service to the world. And that's what we want to focus on today. But how do I know when to take action or what action to take? Or, you know, I have a friend that um, got in trouble, in a sense, by taking too much action because it was all faced outward and none of it was facing inward, like doing the the inner work, you know, we can do for others until uh, we've run ourselves ragged and still be no more sober than we were before. And so how do we know uh, what to do? When? When is it inner? When is it outward? Uh, yeah. And what does that mean? So Michelle, when you think about um, taking action, what does is, what is a program of action mean for you? What yeah, action? so
2: we're going to be talking during the rest of this program about how we discern what actions to take and and um, how we how we go about that. But let's look first at what some of the actions are that we're talking about. You know, what are we talking about when we say that it's a program of action? Um, so you know, when you come into the program, you hear the basic the litany of what you are to do, which is you know, get a sponsor, go to meetings, call someone. Don't drink between meetings. You know, we all hear those things, and at the beginning, that's enough for us to just do those things. (laughs) You know, that's that's a lot, Um, and so, you know, you hear the uh, recommendations about doing ninety meetings in ninety days and um, that type of thing. But basically, it's uh, it's going to be a whole life change that's going to occur, you know? And so there's a lot to be done. (laughs) There's a lot to be done. And unless, you know, you already had some grounding in the 12 step program, a lot of it is going to be new. There's so much learning to do. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think most people have that experience of early recovery sort of feels like a whirlwind of like learning a whole new language and a whole new, way of being it's a good thing we don't know what we're getting into when we first come in because all we wanted to do when we came in the doors right was cure this you know deal with this addiction problem that we had and we ended up finding out that there was so much more that needed to happen that we really had to overhaul our whole lives and way of being and so um The actions are actions that, you know, we take on our own behalf to better ourselves. So that could look different for everyone. But the basics are, you know, getting ourselves to meetings as much as possible. We have to learn this new language and this new way of being in the world. And we need to surround ourselves with um, folks that are also doing that, which is the benefit of the group process, you know, being around others that are trying to live a similar life. Um, finding a mentor, a sponsor, you know, friends, people that have some sobriety that can give us some guidance and some wisdom uh, because everything is new, you know. I mean, I remember just feeling like, wow, you know, my life just kind of got completely turned upside down and there's so much for me to learn and do. Um, But it's basically taking action on our own behalf, you know, whatever it needs to be done to... Ah, uh, get on and stay on a spiritual path, basically.
1: Yeah, when I think about um, program of action and, and and what it meant to me, first was just showing up. Yes. You know, and and doing my best to follow the advice that uh, it, it seemed like good advice at the time, and this much later, I can state with great assurance it absolutely was good advice. Things like um suit up and show up, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. go to 90 meetings in 90 days, which I did, which yeah. was kind of fun to sort of have a goal. Like, you know, I could sort of have a checklist and it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to do this right. I'm going to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Cause someone who seemed like they know what they're <laughs> talking about said that, and I'm just going to trust that, that is a good thing to do. So taking action can was for me in the beginning as simple as the literally the like the one foot in front of the other kinds of um, sobriety, get a home group, you know, volunteer to do something in the group, whether it's just stick around to sweep the chair, sweep the floor, put the chairs back afterward, or, you know, anything that, seems like it needs doing it didn't even have to make a commitment you know I didn't even have to sign up for anything I could still do something um, to be helpful for the group uh, get a sponsor do the step work with that sponsor in the way that that sponsor recommended that it be done not you know I didn't not my own way we all have our own ideas about how things should be Um, And so in the beginning, a program of action just meant like doing those basic things, show up at meetings, do the step work, be a part of a group um, and be helpful in the group. That right there, just that is enough for months for me in the beginning of sobriety. I I spent months doing only that, and that was perfectly fine. I remember a guy in my first home group, Don F., um, who had what to me then and still really seemed like a ridiculous number of years, over 40 years. And as a newly sober person, that was astonishing to me. <laughs> right. and Don shared what his first sponsor had shared with him, which is, he said, look for the first, then he had put it at two years for the first two years. All you got to do is if you, if when you go to bed, you had not taken a drink that day, you win. That's Period, enough. the end. A plus. Yep. And nothing else matters. Yep. And the, the deep wisdom in that, because you will not be alive to mm-hmm. do better later if you can't get this right. So just getting that Right. That's all that. If that's the only action or lack of action, then, man, you're good. Of course, after two years, like, all right, now it's time for you to start stepping yeah. up in your responsibilities right. to your family, yourself and society. Yeah. But come on, man, we, we got to, um, you know, get that put that dragon, get that dragon asleep. That's how I think of it. There's a dragon down in the basement. I'm not doing anything to wake, wake that thing up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I think that there really is some deep wisdom in that. Okay. This is just straight up Michelle's opinion. Okay. For me, I really feel like it's important to not rush through the steps. Um, I hear people that have got like six weeks sober and they've already done all the steps. Um, For me, that is not the way it worked and that's not the way it needed to work. I cannot imagine that that kind of step work could be complete or thorough when you've only got a few weeks of sobriety. Um, I don't think I really took my fourth step until maybe my third year. And that's not because I wasn't taking action. It's just because I was moving with my sponsor very slowly and thoroughly through the steps. I mean, it took me a couple of years before I even had the level of self-awareness to know what to put on my fourth step. If I'd done a fourth step my first month or six months of sobriety, it would have been extremely incomplete and lacking because it took me time you know, to get sober, to, you know, get my head together, to get into my own skin. I needed to seek outside help. I needed to do counseling and start to really delve into what was going on with me before I would even have any idea what to put down. Um, So that's just my opinion is, you know, as long as you are working a program, I don't think there's any rush to get through the steps. Now, of course, people may have, you know, immediate amends, financial amends, or they may have legal things that really need to be dealt with right away. That's different. Um, But I also, I especially think that the eighth and ninth steps are things that need not be rushed. I don't think we have the spiritual maturity in our first year of sobriety to be taking the eighth and ninth steps. Um, I think that it can be really done carelessly and end up causing more problems, you know when Just to give an example, in early sobriety, it can seem like, oh, I need to contact all these people, you know, that guy I cheated on back in high school, I need to tell him I'm sorry, and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, with years of, you know, sobriety, the wisdom has come to me that that is not the best plan of action. That person doesn't need to hear from me. I can make, um, I can write a, a letter that I don't ever send. I can make a living amends, meaning I don't continue to do that to other people, but going and looking that person person up and contacting them and telling them what I did to them that maybe they don't know about, that's only going to harm them more. And so that's the kind of like, if I rush into those actions, I may not be doing them in the best way. And so I just feel like as long as there is forward momentum, there's no rush. It's not a race to get through the steps. Right. You know.
1: Yeah, I, I agree and i have you know on my little list of notes about what does a program of action mean to me certainly it includes the step work uh, absolutely but i agree i agree with you entirely and that uh, you know as you shared that i'm remembering the the importance and the power of having a good sponsor because my yeah. sponsor was the one that could help discern when a step might be done, when it was okay not to be worrying about a step at this moment in time. You know, my sponsor uh, brought a level of wisdom and experience in just straight up being sober um, and in step work and really everything about a sober life to help, to help um, guide me along the way. Because like, as you pointed out, it can be different for different of us. You know, I I didn't have for example any like pending legal stuff that had to be dealt with right away, right. but I know people who did. Yeah. And so, you know, they they needed a sponsor maybe who had been down that road. Yeah. Um and could help them. But, you know, part of the action is is the steps, whether it's the you know, I think of the give it up steps 1 through 3, you know, sort of the foundational making a commitment to 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 really live in a radically different way, or as you pointed out, moral inventory, four and five. I did that sometime in the first year, but it's not a one and done kind of thing. I continue to add to it over time. And I distinctly remember my sponsor helping me with amends and eight and nine and saying, nope, you do not talk to that. Like he was telling me, you do not talk to that person right now. Just trust me. And I did, and he was absolutely... (laughs) right which i saw a little bit later but let's hold that thought because it is time for a short break and when we come back we'll continue the conversation we hope that you'll please stay with us
0: You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery.
1: Welcome back. We're glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Rev. Dan Beckett, here with co-host Rev. Michelle Jelich. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback any time during the week from our Facebook page Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there and let us know what's on your mind.
2: So prior to the break, we were discussing in the first part, um, inertia, that sort of inability to take action on our own behalf that we experienced when we were actively using. Then we moved into talking about the idea that this is a program of action and what types of what, what that means, what kinds of things are actions that we take Um, In recovery. So now that we've discussed inertia and we know that the solution to that is that we get into this program of action, how exactly has a program of action led you, Dan, to an amazing life, a life that you want to live?
1: Um, You know, as I consider this, two major things come to mind. One of them, and I'll talk about this in detail, has been all, all around what I call recovered energy, energy that used to go into drinking, planning, drinking, recovering from drinking, everything related to drinking, you know, avoiding things that I was avoiding because I was drinking, et cetera, et cetera. A a tremendous amount of energy was recovered that no longer went to all that stuff, and so a, a lot of When I think about program of action and and creating a life I love to live, an amazing life, which I do uh, very much consider my life to be today, um, releasing energy that used to go into other things is part of it. And the other big piece of it is just I would just kind of file it under the heading spiritual principles, you know, having that as a guide. But so let me share At first. Energy recovered to take care of business. Right, so, in the beginning, I shared that a lot of my inertia was around not basically not taking care of business, not doing things that a responsible person does to make sure that you know things don't deteriorate. It could be anything from uh making sure my car license plates are up to date and they have the right year on them, <laughs> um, you know repairing things around the house that need repairing instead of just putting them off, you know, can make a whole any anybody with uh addiction recovery experience, I'm sure we could each make our own list and I bet the list would be quite similar. Um but recovered energy so that I so that I did have the energy to take care of business. I wasn't trying to put things off because I knew I'd rather be drinking anyway and you know, it's 5:30 and I'm home from work and I don't want to deal with the sink or the garden or the railing or whatever the heck it was I really don't. What I want to do is just sort of sit down and um you know get get uh, what what I might have thought of of just get in my comfortable cave, you know, and part of that of course is drinking. Now it's not to imply that that's literally all I did. It's not. And again, from the outside, it may not have looked like there was an issue so much until the end where it was plain to anybody (laughs) that there was. But um, instead of that being my main motivation, um, the program of action uh, helped me know sort of where to focus this released energy. And a part of it went into um, just taking care of that which needs taken care of around the house with the family, you know, et cetera.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I was thinking in in early recovery, a lot of the actions that I took on my own behalf were um, lifestyle changes. You know, there were a lot of things that I needed to do to change the type of life that I was living that largely revolved around, um, well, in my case, it was getting everything done so that I could drink. That was my That was my, um, pattern of life, work my booty off all day long, getting everything done and then sit down and drink. Um, and so, you know, I had to begin to change, you know, what my life looked like, what, you know, I had a, I had a, I was in graduate school at the end of my drinking and, um, you know, we had these like happy hours with all the graduate students, our professors would come and everything. And, um, especially on friday friday afternoons four o'clock was um happy hour they i went to a private graduate school they actually provided us with kegs of sam adams if you can imagine that.
1: it's a dream come true. it
2: really was you know And so Friday afternoons, we're standing around the quad with our students and professors and drinking these uh, kegs of Sam Adams. Um, So I showed up to the first one with my sobriety in tow and my little six pack of O'Doul's because I was just going to keep doing everything I did before I was just going to drink non-alcoholic beer. And um, so that didn't work for me
0: <laughs> and I
2: got busted by my sponsor and folks in the program that let me know that drinking O'Doul's was probably not a good plan um but I had but this I, heard, idea that,
1: I have to jump in what I heard yeah. is non-alcoholic beer is for non-alcoholics
2: yes and I also heard that that's like going to a horror house to listen to the piano player
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I like that even better <laughs> I'm not gonna say no. that in church well maybe I yeah. will
2: Yeah, you know, depends. Know your audience. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, that, but my point is that I thought that, um, you know, I could keep doing things, I could keep going to happy hour and standing around and drinking beer after beer as long as they were non-alcoholic beers. And that didn't last for very long because it really wasn't going to work. So I needed to not be going to happy hour. And, you know, some of those changes were hard to make. I was, you know, 24 years old. I wanted to be at happy hour with my buddies, you know, but I had to start to make changes. So one of them was not, you know, not going there with my little six pack of O'Douls. Why would anyone drink six O'Douls anyway, you know i mean it makes I wouldn't no drink sense one. i know well i was determined i know people
1: did like it but not me
2: <laughs> so i had to change my lifestyle i had to change the people i hung out with i had to change my patterns you know i needed to not go down to our hangout was called the mucky duck. That's, you know, uh, it was an institution here in Monterey, but I I needed to not go to the mucky duck at four o'clock on Friday afternoons, you know, and, um, I, so my life just really changed and, um, I needed to start hanging out with recovery friends and doing things with recovery people and going to, you know, going to, um, speaker meetings. And, you know, we had conferences and all that kind of thing. I just, my, life. I don't want to say that it totally revolved around recovery because it's not necessary to give up our former lives, but there were changes that needed to be made, you know. And so those were some of the actions that I took in early recovery.
1: I've heard that described as changing people, places, and things. Mm-hmm. Some of those changes um, can be necessarily and, and and certainly I had to change some people, places and things you know, the, uh, the liquor store I used to stop at fairly often, um, was literally right on my way home from, I mean, it was like right there. I didn't even have to go down a block. It was on the corner. Uh, and so driving past that instead of stopping in there, yeah, you know, why that was something that stood out to me that Mm -hmm. it was weird. It felt weird. at at first so yeah yeah changing people places and things that that's kind of action you know sometimes the action that i had to take was stopping certain actions yes is is an action unto itself um another place that i noticed that the recovered energy could go i talked about you know taking care of business thinking mostly about like i don't know um clerical things like paying bills and Mm -hmm. and um, filing forms or whatever needed to happen with the government or this or that, you know, all that kind of clerical stuff, but also for other people in my life. I'm talking about, like, family and friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, being more available, showing up more, showing up better um, for other people who were part of my um, inner circle of family and friends is something that I all of a sudden had energy to do Instead of, you know, it, it could at times feel like, uh, you know, I, I have to deal with this so that I can be done with it so that I can drink. And when the this is, you know, related to being with a family member, that is not good. That is not a good way to look at um, these, uh, you know, for close loving relationships not not a good thing. I mean that that's one of the terrible things about um alcoholism for me or addiction even is that it took a lot of my attention away from you know being a more present family member.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so as I was releasing some of these activities that had taken up a lot of my life, I needed to add in things that were for my own spiritual fortification. I mean, even having A spiritual life was a whole new thing to me. I had no spiritual life before. So um, adding things into my life, like, you know, for example... Uh, we, we talk a lot on this program about getting to know a higher power and our second step of coming to believe in a power greater t- than ourselves. Well, that required action on my part. I didn't know God. I didn't know what or who God was. I had no relationship with God. So I had to take a lot of actions around developing my spiritual life. Um, I had to add in daily time of prayer, uh, A little bit of meditation, but um, definitely more meditation now than I did in early sobriety. But um, I had to spend time, you know, reading about spiritual things, reading about God. Um, I started attending church because I wanted to learn more and more. I wanted to learn about God and Uh, develop that relationship with God and that requires time like any relationship so um, taking those actions to get involved in a church to spend daily time reading spiritual material spending time in prayer um, all of those things were part of uh, developing a spirituality in my life that I really didn't have at all previously
1: when I think about and I'm still kind of thinking about spiritual principles just just in general um the action that i would categorize as that and a big part of it for me was that spiritual just the concept of or you know living by spiritual principles as we might say um gave me some sense of a path forward like knowing what to do right so we're talking about taking action but we're also saying not just taking action willy-nilly like not just spinning our wheels not you know like running around trying to do everything for everybody which can be just another way of avoiding um, you know painful inner inner work but spiritual principles as a as a framework for life a design for living and for helping me understand what to do and why you know, what, what to do and why. So whether it's, you know, showing up as um, step work, it's not, I don't, I'm not doing step work just cause my sponsor told me. I right. mean, certainly my sponsor did tell me and, but at least for in my personal experience um, I was doing step work because it fit in the larger context. And just the way that my mind works, this is particularly important. I like to understand what is going on, what am I doing, and why am I doing it helps me a wh- whole lot to be comfortable with whatever I'm doing. Yeah. So living living by spiritual principles was super helpful to me because um like I said it helped me know what to do and why to do it. And that gave me a, a great deal of confidence, I think is probably the best word. Confidence like yes, this is the right thing to do. This is helpful. This is going somewhere. There's a point and a purpose to this. Even if I can't see the whole thing, I don't need to, but I know that there is. And so that that's a way that, uh, you know, a program of, of action within the context of spiritual principles really helped me a lot. So I could feel like, that, you know, there's a reason that matters yeah. for yeah. the actions I'm taking.
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of spiritual discernment that needs to take place when we're talking about this taking action, right? Because we have we have this uh, concept in the 12-step program of turning over our will in our lives to our higher power. Um, Letting go and letting God, releasing some of that grip on our lives of wanting to control and making things happen. And yet at the same time, we're talking about the fact that we need to take action, that it's a program of action. We need to do things on our own behalf to make things better. So how do we know when to turn it over and when to do something right? That is the question. (laughs) That is the million dollar question. And so it's a nuanced uh, type of thing that, you know, we we each have to go through our own um, process of how we learn to discern when it's time to do something and when it's time to turn it over. And and so usually the way it works for me is if there's something going on, um, you know, a conundrum or some you know crisis in my life then when i'm at my best my first step is is the turning it over step so that would be my first step would be i don't know what to do i know that the divine mind that god knows better than i do i'm going to turn my will in my life turn this particular thing whatever it is over to the higher power and i'm going to ask for guidance as to what is mine to do And then um, sometimes I get a clear sense of what I need to do. Sometimes I don't. And I have to just start trying things that seem like the right thing to do you know we have a wonderful saying in this program do the next right thing Mm. which sometimes means do the next indicated thing you know what seems to be being indicated as what is mine to do next because it's not like it's some kind of a trick where we've got to figure out you know the right thing that we're supposed to do it's not it's not like there's a one right thing you know I just do my best to discern what I feel I'm being called to do what I feel is mine to do. And then I keep checking back, okay, I took this action, maybe I applied for a job, or I, you know, uh, sought out some opportunity. So then I check back in again, you know, in with God with myself with, you know, in times of prayer and of meditation and quiet contemplation, you know, this is the action that I've taken, let's see what happens. And, and it's just that constant turning it over, taking an action, checking back in, seeking guidance, taking another action, checking back in, and just kind of seeing what unfolds. Now, if you're the kind of person that gets, you know, a voice of God telling you exactly what to do, that's fantastic. It doesn't typically work for me that way, but I do get knowings or nudgings or uh, serendipitous things, you know, things that present themselves to me. And it's kind of like, okay, well, this seems to be the next thing that the universe is guiding me to do. So let me do it and see what happens. And so it's just kind of that process. So, So it's a like we like to say a lot in my church, it's a both and it is a, both a turning over and letting it go to God and then seeking divine guidance as to what is mine to do and taking action.
1: And sometimes that action can be do nothing. Yes. That's something that I found super helpful that I picked up somewhere along the way from a spiritual teacher was that if I, if I am turning within seeking guidance and I feel like I'm getting nothing, that may well mean that there is nothing that I need to be doing. So let yeah. me do nothing and see what happens. what happens. And I'm reminded in all of this, um, about the serenity prayer, which I continue to return to and and really be grateful for and amazed by because it's so very simple, you know, um, uh, I will recite it. God grant me the serenity to accept, number one, accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and then the wisdom to know the difference. When do I take action and when do I not? And this is a program of action, which means we don't just sit around, you know, waiting for everything to get better. Right. And but and we have to do exactly what you're sharing about. We have to develop the ability to discern and it's it's deeply personal and individual. Yeah. And I cannot teach somebody else how to do it, but I can yeah. I can share how I did and maybe even create an environment where that discovery could be made by that person. But I can't right. do it. It's between them and God as they understand God. But yeah. the crux of it is, is when do I let it go and when do I need to take action? And and that that, that is the wisdom to know the difference. between those two things. And if it, if there is something that's mine to do, you know, and I might ask you like, well, what is the next right thing? That's a way to, um, you know, seek this discernment. What is the next right thing? The next right thing might be for me to keep my mouth shut. Sometimes (laughs) that's the next right thing. It really can be. Sometimes the next right thing is for me to speak up and say, Hey, I don't think that's true. You know, I, I don't, uh, I'm not sure where you're getting that information. Why, what's going on here to, you know, speak up on behalf of uh, myself or somebody else or a group, uh, perhaps, y- who knows, it's it varies moment to moment. There's no right. hypotheticals where I can come up with some magic formula to sort of figure out ahead of time what the next right thing to do for any given situation is. We really have to take it as it comes you know it's yeah. not unlike uh um, I've done some surfing here on the east coast I don't know what's going to happen you got to get in it you've got to do your best to stand on that surfboard and then you've got to deal with every little thing oh, anything can happen you know the yeah. wave's going to do this it's going to burp it's going to oh my god what happened oh it cra-. it's just you got to be right there in the moment yeah. and yes. ready to do whatever needs doing Which, you know, inevitably, I noticed every time I stand on the board, at some point, I'm no longer on the board, which means I will fall off at some point. And that's part of it. And that's okay.
2: You know, what you made me think with that surfing analogy is that um, for me, especially, life has really become more and more about being present and awake and aware. So when I was drinking, I was not aware. It wasn't just about drinking. That was only a piece of it. Uh, the drinking was a symptom of a general lack of awareness, lack of awakeness. Now I try to live as much as possible in a, you know, in a state of being present to the moment and being aware. And so that's how that discernment process works for me. And the wonderful thing is that um, you know, in unity, we say we are co-creating our lives with God. That. So the more that we do that that process that I described of seeking guidance, taking action, checking in, you know, following those nudgings, the more we develop, definitely it's been my experience that I developed more and more of that sense of knowing. Sometimes I really know, and sometimes I just really don't know, but there is, it it becomes, it has become for me more of a pattern of, um, maybe I sometimes don't even realize, but I just get these gentle nudges, do this, say this go here, go there, you know, and um, that is like a muscle that gets strengthened and developed the more that I do it, the more that I work on actively um, in a a present, aware way, co-creating my life with God.
1: Absolutely. So we have said a whole lot on this topic. So let's step back if we can and sum it up with a question. And in a way, we always get to this point and I realize This is what we've been talking about the whole time. But that's the idea. If we, if we had to sum it up, like someone that didn't hear anything we said and walked up to you, Michelle, you have uh, experience in sobriety. Um, how do I know when to hold them and when to fold them, right, as the gambler said? Or or how do I know when to turn it over and and when to take action? What would you say?
2: Well, pretty much the process that I was just describing. For me, the first step is always turning it over. Um, Turning it over for me is another way of saying uh, letting go of my own ego self, my own ego self's need to have things be a certain way and turning that over to a higher wisdom, to divine mind, to my higher self, to divine guidance. Um, And so that's always the first step is, you know, getting out of my small S self and getting into big self and into divine mind and then seeking that guidance and then following those gentle nudgings of spirit. However, that shows up doing the next right indicated thing and then checking in and as they say, rinse and repeat
1: yeah and and i I'm sitting here thinking, you know, how on earth would I sum this up, but really it's it's very simple, and it's right in front of my face. It's kind of like the next right thing often is for me. So how, how I know it to do, I see it as a combination of just a few tools, a prayer practice. Mm-hmm. absolutely, you know, based on God as I understand God, a, a trusted advisor, an individual, like a sponsor, an individual person that I can turn to for help and literally say, you know, what do you think? Here's what's going on, blah, blah, da That's important to be able to tell our story and get feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, also the group showing up as part of the home group to share my experience openly with others and to hear the experience that's being shared. And then it all for me, again, kind of comes together in the serenity prayer. That that's the fork in the road. Grant me the serenity to, you know, to do if doing is needed, to not do, and at the bottom of it all the wisdom to know the difference of which road to take. Yes.
2: Well, we have an affirmation for you as always. And our wonderful affirmation today is this. In times of prayer and meditation, I seek divine wisdom, and I am guided to what is mine to do.
1: I love that. In times of prayer and meditation, I seek divine wisdom, and I am guided to what is mine to do. Well, it's happened again You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are grateful, and we hope that you see it that way. We also hope, actually, if you made it to this point in the show, we'll we'll assume that maybe there has been something (laughs) helpful. We really hope that you have found something in all of our rabbiting that will be genuinely helpful to you in your own recovery. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, for our discussion, and thanks to all who are listening uh, to this podcast, either live or via Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. We bless you all wherever you happen to be at this moment on your recovery journey.
2: And listeners, if you'd like, you can always connect with us during the week on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. And please give us your comments, your thoughts, and feedback. We would love to hear from you. And as always, we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, don't drink like my co-host.
1: And please don't drink like my (laughs) co-host.
2: Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week.